Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Second Peter chapter 3, and we're going to uh, briefly, before we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, we're going to briefly take a look into this text. We're nearing our end of uh, our study in Second Peter here. We've got one more week. And, uh, but, you know, whenever there's a seasonal holiday or maybe even a uh, special event like communion when we celebrate that, there's a desire among pastors to possibly preach a text that's relevant to that season, that holiday, that event. And um, that can be tough when we're exegetically going through a book. It's not bad to take a pause, uh, but I'm committed to preaching exegetically and in an expository manner because I believe that's God's design for the edification of the church. But uh, you know what? I am so frequently encouraged. It's been my experience that whenever I've done this in this church and in uh, previous ministries I've been involved in, God, God seems to line up passages with that season, with that event, uh, with that holiday, if pastors will continue, continue to commit to do that. And he's done that this morning. I really believe that. Um, and it's quite reassuring to me. Uh, for those of you who have been doing what uh, I challenged us to do, to go through the book of Luke together, one chapter every day. I don't know if you read Luke 21 last night but, uh, uh, or yesterday. It was about the second coming of Christ. That's what the text is this morning. God lining it up. Us uh, celebrating Christmas this week and the first Advent, his first coming, points to his second coming. Us celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. Uh, that is something that points to his second coming as well. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 saying, As often as you do this, you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so uh, I love it when God does that. I believe he's done that. We've got an amazingly appropriate Christmas and communion passage because both of those events point to Christ's second coming. And that's what we're going to look into this morning. Instead of reading through the text like we usually do, I just want to start and we'll go verse by verse just because of time. But um, in, in verses 1 and 2, we have a call to remember. All right, verse 1, 2 Peter 3, 1 says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both, which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So he's calling us to remember. Before we do that, can we ask the Lord to bless this time and be with us as we study his word. Heavenly Father, as we look into this passage here in Second Peter, your Holy Spirit has promised to have a ministry where he illuminates the word of God, where we are uh, knowledgeable, we, we receive what you have uh, for us. And, uh, but Lord, we want to do so much more than know. We want to respond. We want to act according to what you're presenting to us. And so I pray that you'd help us do that. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we celebrate this special gift you've given to us later on this morning, I pray that you be glorified in that 
and our hearts would be fixed and focused on a great gift that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. All right, so we have a call to remember in verses 1 and 2. Peter's motivation in verse 1 for calling us to remember. He says, in the second epistle, I've given you two. This is the end of the second one here. In both of them, I'm writing to you for this purpose. I want to stir up your pure, or in the Greek we could uh, translate that also sincere or serious minds. All right, and so what Peter is doing here is he's trying to give us an eternal, permanent resource, the Word of God, that we can go to. This is what he was trying to do for those Christians that he was writing to. If you look, look back at 1 Peter at the beginning, he was writing to churches that are modern-day Turkey. Uh, but this is also for you and I here in 2019, and he wants to stir up our minds. He, he said in, uh, in 2 Peter 1, verses 12 to 15, I'm not going to be around much longer. All right, I'm, Lord's going to call me home. He's told me. <laughs> He's literally told me I'm going to be crucified. Uh, and so I know I'm going to be martyred. And I'm not going to be here much longer. And I can't speak to you. I don't know how many more opportunities I will have to give you God's word. I, I've got to be honest with you. Uh, that thought crosses my mind every time I'm preparing for a message. I don't know if I'll have another chance. So I pray to God, God, give me the message you want for your people today. Uh, this, this word Please help me communicate it to them. And that's what Peter's doing. But he says, I'm going to give you a permanent written record, something you can access. All right. But he wants so much more than access. He wants action. All right. He says, I want to stir up your minds. I want it to result in action. I want you to have this resource against those two threats. First Peter, suffering and persecution. Second Peter, the false teaching that was a threat to their faith. And he's about to give us some serious and unsettling truth here in verses uh, 3 to 13. And, uh, but in that context, I want you to notice in verse 1, uh, it says, This second epistle, beloved. This is who he's writing to. The church of God, those who are loved by Jesus Christ, and that's you as well. And so when we come to unsettling, uh, unsettling words in the next few verses, don't forget that it's in the context that God dearly loves you. And that's why he's telling you this. Four times in this one chapter, Peter calls them the beloved. Four times in this one chapter, Peter calls you the beloved of God because of Jesus Christ. All right, so it's serious truth. Look at his message in verse 2. I want you to be mindful. I want you to remember. Peter said that so many times in, in the first chapter. I want you to remember. Be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets under the commandment of the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So in general, he's saying I want you to remember God's word. The Old Testament, the, uh, the, that which was spoken of by the prophets. The New Testament, at least up until that point. That was the apostolic message, whether it was from the Gospels, whether it was from Peter, from John, from Paul. Uh, he wanted us to know the uh, message of Jesus Christ that came through the apostles. And that's what he's calling us to in general, God's word. But then he gets into a specific. This is what I want you to know. And he's going to get very specific about what he wants us to know in the rest of these verses. In verses 3 to 9, there's a cause to remember, a cause to remember. There's going to be derision. False teachers, the ones we've been talking about uh, up until this chapter, they are going to continue in their false teaching and they're going to mock. They're going to scoff. They're going to hold this truth in derision. He says that in verse 3. This is what I want you to know. Knowing this first of most importance. That's what this first means. This is preeminent. As you go into the last days, this is preeminent. I want you to know this. There shall come in the last days. Well, where will they come? What did Peter tell us in 2 Peter 2.1? 
they're going to come into the church. That's how they've always done it. They've, in the Old Testament, there was false teachers. You need to expect it now. You need to expect it until Christ returns. All right, when will they come? In the last days. Well, when is that? Well, that began at Christmas. That began at the incarnation when Jesus came down, and it will end when he returns. Uh, so are we in the last days right now? We're in that time period between when he first came and when he's coming again. So uh, this is definitely uh, appropriate for us, relevant to us. This is what Dublin First Baptist Church needs to know, that in the last days there will come scoffers. In the Greek it actually says there will come scoffers scoffing, and they walk after their own lust. Notice the attitude of these um, mockers in verse 3 and the resulting actions. They're scoffers, they mock, they don't believe the truth. Later it says they're willfully ignorant, uh, but then it describes their actions, just like Peter's saying. You know how you recognize false teachers? By how they live. And so here's some scoffers that are making fun of Christ's return, saying it's not going to happen, and they walk after their own lusts. I highlight that because he's going to give us the converse of it, the opposite, that when uh, God's people, when followers of Jesus, when they think like God thinks, they're going to act like God acts. But he says the same thing happens for those who don't believe in Jesus. Uh, because of their attitude, they're mocking. This is what they do. They walk after their own lusts. So what are they saying here? Well, in verse uh, 4 it says, where is the promise of his coming? Here we are. It's 2019. It's been 2,000-some you know, years since Jesus came that we celebrate Christmas, went back up in heaven, died for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended. Is he coming? 2,000 years. I mean, they were already saying this in the first century where Peter's writing. Where is his coming? Where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, Abraham, Noah, David, Elijah, nothing's changed. That's what they say. All things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation in verse 4. Now, is that true? No, it's not. Right? That's, uh, actually, we have a modern name in, in science for it. We've got two science teachers. I think they're coming to the second service. But um, this, this idea in the science world is called uniformitarianism. It's what the theory of evolution was based on. Right? And it says that everything that's happening now, it's happened this way ever since the world started. And that's where they get these long-term geological ages from. Uh, because it's, it, it, this, it takes this long now for sediment to do this. So it's much... Always been that way, right? And so that's one modern application we get from this. But what they're saying is nothing changes. It's the same old, same old. Day goes on, sunrise, sunset, moonrise, moonset. Nothing's changed. Jesus isn't coming back. Why are you relying on that? This is the message of these false teachers. But now, in verse five, it says it's not true. In fact, they're willfully ignorant of it. It's not just they're ignorant. They know truth. They've heard truth, and they willfully ignore it. All right, verse 5, for this they're willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God, that's important, that's what he's calling us to remember, that by the word of God, now he gives us two examples here in verse 5, that things don't always go as they always have. For by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. He points us to, first of all, creation. There was a start to our existence here, and it was God saying this, let there be light. Right? Let there be stars, let there be plants, let there be every creeping thing. You know the account from Genesis. Then at one point he said, let there be Scott, let there be Richard, let there be Jamie. At some point he said that. Creation is spoken into existence by the word of God. Now verse 6, he gives us another example. But that's not good enough. Because that was a start. Now has everything been unchanging forever and ever? Well, there was a pretty big change. It's also in Genesis. 
Verse 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. So not just creation, but catastrophe. We know there was a great catastrophe, a worldwide catastrophe, a flood that covered the whole world. Everything destroyed, every animal, every human being, save Noah and those he brought into the ark in obedience to God. So here's two very pertinent evidences that things don't always go as they have, that God does intervene. And if it's the word of God that created, it was the word of God that caused the flood and governed it, sovereignly controlling the flood. All right, now he says, but the heavens, verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word kept in store, everything we're seeing now, kept in store by that same word of God. Paul says in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, it's the, the word of Jesus Christ that keeps sparrows flying, that keeps weather changes happening, that keeps your heart beating right now. That's going to give you this next breath you're going to take. Jesus Christ is the creator. He is a sustainer. Holding everything together by the word of his power right now also tells us that in Hebrews chapter 1. So the same word that created, the same word that uh, governed that catastrophe, that flood, the same word that is keeping your heart beating right now, it's the word of God. And that's that same word that is evidence that he's going to come again. He's calling us to faith here. Based on those things, things have not always gone as they always have been. And now he says they're kept in store unto fire against that day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Reserved unto fire. Kept in store and reserved unto fire. Christ is coming back. There's going to be judgment. That's what he's focusing on in that verse right there. And when he says kept and reserved, those are in the Greek perfect, completed, tense things, as good as done, like they've already happened. Because in a God who is outside of time, we're going to get that in a second, it is as good as done. It's already in his mind. It's already been in his sovereign purpose and plan. And he wants us to remember this. You remember back in uh, 1 Peter 1, he said, you have a place in heaven, Christian, that is reserved for you. A place written down, particular, not just for everybody who's going to be saved. No, for you who have believed in Jesus Christ. There is a reservation. That same assured, particular reservation is here for those who have rejected Christ in this day of judgment. Now, there is a delay. There is. Why? He's going to explain it. We have to deal with the fact of the matter. It's 2019 and Jesus hasn't come back yet. For Peter here in the first century, Jesus hasn't come back. Why is there a delay? The delay of Christ's return in verse 8, he says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And he wants to tell us that, you know what, human being, you have a linear, human, mortal perspective on time. You should. God created it, didn't he? In that first seven days, he created day and night. And he created calendars and he created seasons. God created time for you. Is God bound by time? No, he's outside of time. He's the alpha and the omega, no beginning and no end. And you know what? My brain hurts. Does yours? Trying to comprehend that. I don't understand that kind of a God. And I'm okay with that. Are you okay with it? I, I'm actually comforted by having a God who reveals himself lovingly to me. And I know his power and I know his mercy and I know his grace. But I don't know everything about him and I cannot comprehend it. I'm comforted by that. He's a big God outside of time. So don't allow that to make you think he's negligent, is what he's saying here. Verse 9, there's a second thing. Not just our perspective linear time, but God's long-suffering. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Further reinforce my wobbly faith and why he has not returned yet. He says, this is why 
I still want people saved. There's work to do. All those whose names have been written in the book of life, as it says in Revelation 3, 5, and in Revelation 13, 8, and 17, 8, and 25, and 21, 27, that book, they're not all in yet. They're not all in the body yet. And until then, he's not going to return. Right? So don't, it's mercy. It's long-suffering. It's our perspective of time, yes, but it's also the long-suffering of the Lord. There is a delay. He said he'd return, but he hasn't. He said he'd return, and he will. Christmas is evidence of that. When you think of Christmas this year, remember he's coming back, just as he came that first time. I hope you're looking, like some wise men were, expectingly. hope you're watching. And communion is evidence of that. We already talked about that, that we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now there's a certainty to remember. We'll finish up here in verses 10 to 13. His return is going to come as a thief in the night. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord. When it says day of the Lord, that is that time period that begins when he returns and that ends when the world is destroyed and there's a new heaven and a new earth created. And that day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens, he's going to describe it here. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up that's kind of frightening when you hear it when you think of it because this is what we know this is my home i like bladen county like north carolina i even like white oak all right i like it it's going to be all destroyed this is what i know i even like wisconsin that's for my family that watches on youtube all right um, it's it's all going to be destroyed everything we know and we hold dear why is he telling us this? So that we're not scared, we're not full of fear, we're not frightened. And to remind us what really matters. Right? He says in verse 11, seeing that all these things are to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? This is what he's trying to tell us here in verse 10. The here and now is ending. It's ending. This is not all that there is. He's going to come, he's going to return to deliver those who have a relationship with him, who have put their trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done for them on the cross to save them from their sins and to judge those who have rejected Jesus Christ and tried some other way or who were willfully ignorant. And we're to be watching, seriously watching for his return. Don't be frightened. Be a little unsettled as long as that drives you to serious thinking because you know what happens when you have serious thinking? You have serious living. That's what he's calling us to here. The heavens are going to pass away with a great noise. Actually, it means a weird noise, like sizzling. It's, it's a Greek onomatopoeia. I think that's what it's called, if you remember from English class. Uh, a, a word where we don't, we just spell it out like it sounds. The heavens are going to pass away with this. And it's, when it says burned up at the end of verse 10, it means bulldozed, raised, gone, nothing. And it needs to happen and for verse 13 to happen later. It's not to scare or to frighten us. It's to tell us, Dublin First Baptist Church, there is more to this life. There's more to this life than homes and careers and hobbies and even Christmas decorations. There's more to this life than, than uh, whatever it is that is demanding your attention. There's more to this life. There's more to this life than the freedom to live in sin that these false teachers were falsely teaching. There's a more necessary demand for our attention it's then and there. That's what he talks about in verse 12. Looking for, this is what we're to do, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens 
being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. He repeats it again, just in case. I wasn't kidding. Everything's going to be gone. Don't live for this. That's a mistake. That's a waste. Here and now is ending. Then and there is coming. That's his message to us. And because of that, back in verse 11, he says, if this is true, and it is, that there is so much more. So much more. You were made for more. Christian, you were remade for more. And if that's true, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? He kind of reverses the order there. Do you know what godliness is? It's not the same as righteousness. Paul differentiates the two in Romans 1, right? Godliness is thinking like God thinks, loving what God loves, and valuing what God values. It's more of a mental thing, an attitude. And when you do that, you will live in holiness. You'll have a holy conversation, lifestyle. But only if you do that. How you think is going to determine how you act. Your actions flow from your attitude. And this is what he's calling us to here. Holiness, godliness. You ever heard of people who are described as being so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good? John Piper, one of my favorite pastors, says he hasn't met one. And he says, if I'm ever introduced to one, I can find you a hundred other Christians who are so earthly minded, they're of no heavenly good. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors and theologians, said history tells us that those Christians who did the most for this present age were those who were focused most on the world to come. Those are the ones who do the most. History is proof of that. And when Christians cease to think of that world to come, they become very ineffective in this world. Don't believe that. If you aim, this is C.S. Lewis' quote, if you aim at heaven, you know what you get? You get earth. You aim at earth, you know what you get? Nothing. This is what Peter's telling us here. Then and there is coming. So Christian, don't live in fear. Don't live in dread. He's giving, I want you to know this first. I don't want you to be ignorant of this. Beloved, don't be frightened, beloved, but look for and hasten. Do you know how you hasten that day? It's when you live in holiness because of your godly perspective. Others see it and they go, what is that? Can I have some of that? Jesus? Is that who's done this for you? Is that who has transformed your life? That's why we're to live in that godliness and holiness. Are you looking? Are you hastening? I'm sure a couple of times a year you sing that song. I love it. We sing it here. I'm sure at least three times a year. That third verse, and we say, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be made sight. (laughs) When this is real, that Peter's promising. Clouds roll back as a scroll, as it's talked about here. A trumpet will sound, and the Lord will descend. Is it well with your soul? We sing it. Do we live it? That's what Peter's calling us to do here this morning. I'm going to ask Judy to come. Uh, Can you play?